In our society, we have a love-hate relationship with leaders and leadership. Like, on the one hand, we want good leaders, right? We, we are drawn to great leaders. We, we put our hope in leaders. If anything, this past week showed that. Like, all the energy that we put towards voting and how your, whatever emotional turmoil or emotional joy, whatever it is that you went through this past week and are still going through, what that shows is that there is a sense where we want good leaders because we recognize that good leaders lead to a sense of thriving can really be the difference between a good society and an unhealthy society. But it's not just political leaders. This happens in all sorts of different ways. So like most people who grew up in Nebraska in the 80s and 90s, I grew up revering Tom Osborne. I mean, Tom Osborne was the king of the state. He was the football coach in the Nebraska Cornhuskers back when they were good. And so we, we recognize, hey, Tom was a great leader. We put our hope in Tom because Tom made good football teams. So when Scott Frost became the coach several years back, we thought, hey, we're going to go back to the good old days. Not so much, but we still have put our hope in this leader because he's a good coach, he's a good leader. And so there's a sense where, hey, we want to see our team turn around. And so we put our hope in this coach. Hey, even in the church, this is true. Look, there's a reason why celebrity pastors are a thing. There's a reason why there are large churches that build up around strong leaders, because we want good leaders, we're drawn to leaders, we put our hope in leaders, and even make it more personal. Maybe there's been a pastor, or a coach, or a teacher, maybe your parents, leaders who loved you well, served you well, invested in you, and you're thriving because of their leadership. Like we want good leaders, we're drawn to strong leaders, we put our hope in leaders, at the same time, leadership is also a point of contention. And we divide and fight over leaders, as this week has shown us. We can make idols out of leaders. We can put them on pedestals. We can also be suspicious and even very cynical about leadership. The very leaders that we venerate and put our hope in can be the very leaders that we start to turn on and question. The political candidate we campaign for becomes the target of our intense criticism. The coach we put all our hope in gets fired because he's not getting the results. The pastor that we thought loved us and led us well is removed from moral failure. This past week, maybe some of you saw it, another celebrity pastor who seemed to have a very thriving church and thriving ministry had to be removed because of a moral failure. Like pastors, teachers, coaches, bosses, parents, all can frustrate and disappoint and fail us and we start to push back on leadership. Now, some of this is just because we have an anti-authoritarian streak and we don't want anybody telling us what to do, and so we just naturally push back on leaders. So there's a sin dynamic, but, and I would dare to say this is probably more often the case, it isn't sin that causes us to be skeptical in cynicism. It's because we've been hurt. Like, I know there are some of you in this room, you have been hurt and abused by leadership, and so the thought of submitting yourself to a leader or following a leader, no matter how strong or healthy that person is, scares you. And so it isn't sin, it's that you've been hurt, and that pain is real. And so whether it's our rebellion or whether it's real pain that we're facing, not only do we want good leadership and are drawn to good leaders and put our hope in leaders, but we can also be very cynical and suspicious of leadership. 
So then, how should we view leaders? How should we view leadership? Well, for the Corinthian church, the worldly wisdom of their culture and its priorities of status and success and image and power influenced and infected their view of leadership. It really caused them to be prideful and divisive, to misview and misuse leadership. And for us today, look, the worldly wisdom that we swim in with its priorities of image and status and success and power also affect us, causes us to idolize leaders, causes us to put leaders on pedestals, it causes us to divide over leaders, or it causes us to be cynical about them. It causes us to misuse the leadership positions that we have. And over and against this worldly wisdom view of leadership, God's word holds out for us this morning something better a gospel-formed, a cross-formed wisdom and view of leadership and use of leadership. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning from these verses. So here's the main point for us. Leaders are God's servants dependent upon God's power. Leaders are God's servants dependent upon God's power. And we're just going to walk through this statement and see how this passage puts forward this truth for us. So let's first look at leaders are God's servants. Leaders are God's servants. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and then at the beginning of chapter 3, the Apostle Paul has been going very hard at the Corinthians' view of leadership. The fact that they were dividing over leaders, the fact that they were being prideful about their own leadership, Paul's like, hey, look, guys, that is worldly wisdom. Now, that is worldly wisdom, and that is not spiritually mature. You're following the the view of leadership that is driven by pride and image and status, your, your division and your cliques over your leadership, the way that you compare your spiritual maturity to one another based on who you voted for, I mean, followed. Do we not do this too? Is this not a word to us? And so Paul's been hammering their view of leadership, but then he's going to turn around and answer a question. How should we view leadership then, Paul? Well, what do we do? If, you, if you're saying we shouldn't view leadership this way, how do we view it? So Paul asks this question in verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Who are leaders then? What are they? Celebrities we should gawk at? People to put on pedestals and divide over? Those to base our spiritual maturity on? Positions we should pursue for status and image and power? No. Here's the answer. Servants, through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Servants, unglamorous, lowly servants. And Paul fills this out, gives a little more color in verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered. Agricultural imagery here. So if we want to put a little bit different spin on this. Servants are farmhands. They're farmhands. When was the last time anyone created a click over a farmhand? When was the last time anyone put a farmhand on a pedestal? Anytime we gawked at one, anytime we found our identity because we followed a farmhand, anytime we desired to be one because of all the status and power and image it gave them, it seems a bit silly, right? That's Paul's point. Why are you putting us on pedestals? Why are you dividing over us? Why are you making clicks over us? We're servants. We're farmhands. This is silly to give us that much attention, to put that much value in us. Now, by calling himself and other leaders servants, Paul isn't demeaning himself. He isn't demeaning his work. 
Rather, he's putting their work in perspective. To state the obvious, servants serve. They serve. They don't live for themselves. They don't live for their own agenda. They're not about putting up their own image and status. No, they live for something different. They live for something greater. They live for another. They have a master. Servants aren't the point. They're not the center of the universe. What they give their lives to is for something greater than themselves for the sake of others. This is what gospel-formed, cross-formed wisdom tells us. Leaders are servants. And this is the wisdom that shapes how we should view leaders. Like rather than putting leaders on pedestals, rather than dividing over them, rather than putting our hope in them and basing our identity in them, we recognize, hey, there are those submitted to someone greater than themselves. They're serving someone in something greater. They point to something greater. They're not the point. They're not the center. And so our lives, our hope, our identities shouldn't be so wrapped up in them that as they rise and fall, so does our faith and our hope and our joy rise and fall. Our hope and joy is not leaders, church. Your hope and joy is not me. It's not Pastor Paul. It's not your gospel community leaders. It's not the deacons. It's not the ministry team leaders. It's not the person that's discipling you. As good as those people are and as necessary as those people are and the gift they are to you, they're not your hope and joy. Jesus is. Why would we put people on pedestals when they're servants? Now that leaders are servants doesn't mean leadership is menial work. There's, there's a tendency sometimes for us to devalue the work of leadership. Leadership is hard work. It, it is tiring work. Sometimes it is lonely work. But here, I guarantee the best thing that you can do is to have a gospel-formed response to leadership. What does that look like? Well, how do you respond to servants? You pray for them. You encourage them. You get with them and get involved in the work. You share in the work. You participate with them. You, you respond to leadership in a way that is positive and encouraging. You respond to the direction that they're leading. Leaders, servants need our help, our respect, and even our correction. To not use them for our own esteem and our own ends, but to receive them as a gift from God. That is a gospel-formed response to leadership. Gospel-formed wisdom also shapes how we think about leaders, how we think, excuse me, how we think about leading ourselves. Leaders or servants, do you want to lead? Serve. Are you leading right now in some capacity? You're called to serve. This is not only the words of the Apostle Paul, this comes from Jesus himself. In Matthew 20, 25 through 28, this is what he tells his disciples. He sets this contrast between the world's view of leadership and the kingdom of God's view of leadership. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. You see how the world thinks about leadership and exercises its leadership? It will not be so among you, my people. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Worldly wisdom teaches you that leadership is a means to status and image and power. Gospel-formed wisdom teaches you that leadership is about serving. 
The greatest in the kingdom is the one who serves the most. The more responsibility you have, the more you serve. The greater position, the greater depths to which you are called to serve. To be a leader doesn't mean you serve less and get served more. It means you serve more and get served less. That is gospel-formed leadership because this is the way of Jesus. This is the way of our Lord. He said the Son of Man came not to be served. And as Philippians 2 says, Jesus, though he is God, did not count equality with God something to be held on to. But he let go of that authority and that power and became a man. He took on the form of a servant. So much so that he died for sinners like you and me. So much so that he was mocked and degraded and scorned and shamed and he died a violent and cruel death that we can be forgiven, that our sin and our shame can be washed away, that we can be restored to relationship with God, that the power of sin may be broken, that we might experience joy and peace. Do you see the power of gospel form service? You're in Christ. Your salvation, my salvation happened because Jesus served. This is the power of gospel-formed leadership. And friends, this is how we think of leadership. This is how we exercise leadership, radically others-oriented. You, you guys know that story in, in John 13 where Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he all of a sudden takes off his robe and then he takes a towel around his waist and he starts to wash their feet. And the disciples are like, whoa, what are you doing? That, that, that's not for you. That's for a slave to do. That's for a servant to do. We might, we might kind of miss what was happening there, but, but kind of think of it this way. Imagine you roll up to a, a gas station and you use the bathroom and it is like the grossest bathroom you've ever seen. And you walk in and there is the queen of England on the ground scrubbing the floors and scrubbing the toilets. You'd be out of your mind. Like queens don't do that. It's the same response the disciples had to Jesus washing their feet. You don't do this. You don't serve. You, you are exalted. You are a king. Why are you washing your your feet. And what did Jesus say? If I, your master, have washed your feet, if I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to do the same for each other. Jesus set this example in the kingdom of God. Leadership is about serving. If you're a leader, you're washing feet. Pastors, wash feet. Deacons, you wash feet. Gospel community leaders, you wash feet. Husbands, you wash feet. Moms and dads, you wash feet. This is what we do when we lead. We wash each other's feet so that we can know the power of God in our lives. We can experience the grace of Christ. It's not status. It's not image. It's not power. It's service. Gospel-formed wisdom teaches us that leaders are servants. Gospel form wisdom teaches us that leaders are also dependent upon God's power. As Paul goes on to say in verses six and seven, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Paul and Apollos did the work, and it, but it was God who gave the growth, the, the fruitfulness for, for all their skill, for all of their work, for all their sacrifice, for, for everything that they poured out in the work the Apostle Paul said, hey, look, we did this work, but if God wasn't behind it, it was nothing. We're nothing. Again, why would you put us on a pedestal? 
Why would you idolize us? Why would you divide over us? Why would you stake your spiritual identity in us? Because we are nothing. God is everything. His power is everything. Paul is driving home this point that not only are we servants, but we're powerless in and of ourselves. So you're talking about a powerless servant. That's who leaders are. No room for putting those kinds of people on a pedestal. So Mindy and I, we, we like to travel. And a couple years ago, we were able to go to Rome and then over to Greece. It was a wonderful trip. Now, now imagine if, if I were talking to you about that trip. And I led you to believe that I got over there by walking across the United States until I hit the Atlantic Ocean, then swam across the Atlantic until I hit Italy, then walked my way to Rome, then walked across Europe down to Greece. You'd look at me like I was nuts. Like, there is no way to do that, man. Why are, you, why are you trying to pretend you have that kind of power? Friends, that is what worldly wisdom leads us to. Thinking that we have power in or of ourselves to do the impossible. That any of this happens because of our gifting, because of our education, because of our personalities. Look, any fruitfulness here is because of the Lord, because of the Spirit of God. And so as leaders, we recognize this. Worldly wisdom tells you, hey, look, if you want to be a good leader, you need education, and you need skill, and you need experience, and you need to have a charming personality. You need all of these things. That's your power. That's your hope. And then when we buy into that, what do we do? Well, I want to be a good leader, so what do I need? I need to go get education. I need to go get experience. I need to get better with people. I need to have a good image so people think that I'm cool looking and I, you know, I can put my stuff on my Instagram. And yet, behind all of that is just pride and self-reliance, putting our hope and our power in ourselves. We are nothing apart from the power of God. Now look, is there anything wrong with growing in knowledge? No, you should is there anything wrong with wanting to get experience? No, you should. If you are a leader, you should desire to grow, and that happens through learning, that happens through experience. Hey, if you need to get better with people, get better with people. None of these things are bad in and of themselves. But if that's your hope, if that's the power you think that is going to make you effective in ministry and in life, God's word says, you are nothing apart from the power of God. You have no power. And this is the wisdom that shapes how we view leaders. Are we drawn to leaders with the education and the experience and the looks and the personality? Or are we drawn to leaders who are mostly the most deeply dependent upon God? Do we want leaders who look good on paper and who put forward a great public image and can create this really cool experience and we go to a particular church, a particular ministry because of the way it looks? Or are we drawn to leaders who have a deep intimacy with God and it just spills out that it's obvious that their power comes from God and not themselves? Are we interested in flash? Or are we interested in depth of character and humility and a spirit-empowered life? Hey, can we affirm the gifts God gives to people? Because God gives gifts and there are people who are incredibly gifted. Can we affirm those gifts and be thankful for them and honor them, but not ultimately be impressed, overly impressed with leaders, but rather glorify God because he is the one who gives growth and who makes things happen. That's how gospel-formed wisdom shapes us to see leaders. Also, does this lead you to pray for your leaders? Look, if you're convinced that nothing happens without the power of God, 
then you're going to go, oh, he's got a great personality. Oh, he's got enough education. He's good on his own. No, you're going to say, I need to pray for him. I need to pray for her because they need the power of God. Gospel-formed wisdom also shapes how we ourselves lead. Do we see our hope and our power in leading merely as cultivating knowledge in leadership skill, or is it about, first and foremost, abiding in Christ? Are we walking humbly? Are we walking in prayerful dependence, or are we running around trying to gain acceptance and results through our own effort? I wonder how many of you You're gifted, you're good at what you do, you're smart, you have a charming personality, but you're leaning into your gifting rather than depending upon the Spirit. Like you are are confusing self-produced fruit with Spirit-empowered fruit. You're leaning into your personality because you're very gifted and you can get results, but here's what happens, you won't go any further than the gifting. You won't go past your strength. You won't step out and risk because you're not depending upon the spirit. You're depending upon yourself. You'll never radically be used by God because you're not depending upon him. Or how about this? And I dare say this is probably where most of us are. I know this is where I am. How many of you have this convo in your head? Man, things are not going how I want them to go. Things aren't going how I want them to go in my church. Things aren't going how I want them to go in my gospel community. Things aren't going how I want them to go in my home. They're not going how I want them to go in my family or at work. And so what do I need? Well, I need more knowledge. I need to find books that are going to help me. Or, or, or I need to work on my people skills. Or, or I need to fill in my leadership gaps or my skill gaps. Immediately we think those are the things we need. Hey, again, not bad things, but for a moment, can we, can we put down the leadership books or the books on personality or even the theology books and just spend time with Jesus? Can we commune with him? Can we be before him? Can, can, can we find our identity and our life and our power in him? That, that's where life, that's where power for leadership comes. That's where power for discipleship comes. How many of you are maybe sitting on the sidelines? You've sidelined yourself because you don't think you're gifted enough. You've convinced yourself, I could never lead. I could never take responsibility because I'm not gifted enough. Friends, that is self-reliance. You're selling, you're, you're selling God short. What would it look like? What would it look like if First City Church was a church where people took risks, took initiative, took responsibility, whether you have a formal leadership position or not, not because you think you're so gifted, but because you're aware of the power of God, because you're confident in the way that he can use you. Leaders are dependent upon God's power. Gospel-formed wisdom tells us that leaders are God's servants, dependent upon God's power. And then this final point here, it's not just that they're leaders, but they are God's servants. Not just servants, they are God's servants. Leaders are not just servants, they're God's servants. In verses eight and nine, Paul writes this, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So Paul's drawing attention to the unity we have in God. 
The Corinthians wanted to divide over leadership. They wanted to set one role over another. Paul, he planted this church, so he's better than Apollos. But Apollos has had this gifting, so he's better than Paul. They wanted to divide. What Paul is saying is no matter the role, no matter the gifting, we're united in God. We're all serving God. There's no place for comparison here. There's no place for pitting one leader against another leader. Because guess what? Those leaders are on the same team. They're serving the same God. They may have different roles. They may have different giftings. But they are God's servants. They are submitted to God's purpose and God's mission. These things aren't a place of comparison. It's a matter of God-assigned task. And so it's a matter of being faithful to the, God, to the job God had given them for God's purpose. They were God's workers in charge of taking care of God's field and God's building, meaning God's people. So here's another way to think of this, another way to frame what Paul's saying. He's saying, Corinthians, the beautiful diversity that God has created, multiple roles, multiple gifts, the unity that that is supposed to put on display, you all are tearing it apart. How prideful, how selfish, how much do we miss the beauty of diversity of roles and diversity of gifts? When we spend so much time comparing each other, Comparing ourselves, we miss the beauty of this. Worldly wisdom wants you to compare. It wants for you to use your role as a means to assert your status and power, to give you an identity so you can feel better about yourself over and against someone else. But when gospel-formed wisdom has our heart, we don't compare because we recognize we're on the same mission, we serve the same God, that we're part of something bigger than ourselves, something more beautiful than we could ever accomplish on our own. And what is important is faithfulness to God. Gospel-formed wisdom says, I am God's servant. My role is about faithfulness to him, not my own status. And this is the wisdom that shapes how we view leaders. Leaders are called to serve God. And so friends, here's what we need to recognize. Leaders are not first and foremost called to serve us. Like as much as leaders do serve us, they serve us in relationship to serving God. Sometimes we want leaders to be about our own agenda. Sometimes we want leaders to be about our preferences. Sometimes we judge leaders as not following God because they're really not following us. But Paul is saying here to the Corinthians, hey, my, first and foremost, my responsibility is to the Lord, to God. I am his servant. Leaders are God's servants. So we need to be very careful about how we judge leaders, whether or not they're being faithful to God or whether we're trying to make it about us. That leaders are called to serve also means that leadership is part of God's design. Back in verse five, Paul says this, that he and Apollos are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Like the Lord used Paul and Apollos to bring the Corinthian church to faith and help them grow. God uses leaders. They're part of his plan and purpose and his design. As Paul writes in Ephesians 4, God gave the gift of leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to build up the church. It's very easy, especially in our culture where we can be cynical about leaders to say, we don't need leadership. No, in God's design, we need leaders. And I am so thankful for the leaders I've had. I've had plenty of leaders who have failed me and have hurt me, But I'm thankful for the leaders who have invested in me, who kicked my rear when I needed it. Like I'm standing here as a pastor 
relatively healthy, with a good marriage because of leaders that have invested in me. I'm thankful for those men. You need leaders. You need people who are going to speak truth and disciple you and lead you. This is part of God's design for you. Recognizing that leaders are God's servants also causes us to reject cynicism when leaders fall. Like, look, leaders will be held accountable. Paul, Paul made this clear, like, we're going to get rewarded for our work. Leaders will be held accountable. And those leaders that fall, those leaders that hurt us, look, our faith doesn't have to depend upon them because we know that leader will be held accountable. We can trust that God will reward faithful leadership and he will judge those who would abuse leadership. We don't need to reject all leadership because we know it's part of his design. We can still receive it as a gift with confidence that God is going to judge on the final day. Gospel-formed wisdom shapes how we view leaders, but also shapes how we ourselves lead. To lead in the church is to serve God. You're ultimately responsible before him. Not to make everybody happy. You're ultimately responsible before him, not before the people of the church. Look, you can make everybody happy in this church. You could have everybody looking at what you're doing and saying you're doing a good job, but all the while not being faithful to the Lord. Friends, we need to keep the, the, the truth of the fact that, hey, we're serving the Lord first and foremost in all that we do. We can make everyone happy, please everyone, and still be unfaithful. It should humble us. It should lead us to say, my service is to the Lord. He's my king. He's my master. Let me honor and glorify him. Let me be faithful to him. Though others may be displeased, let him be pleased. That's how we're called to serve. Here's what else. Whatever your role, whatever your role, it matters. There is not this sense that only the pastors and only the deacons and only the gospel communities have roles that matter. Whatever your role, it matters. Whatever the role God is using you, whatever the role, we're all on the same team. We're doing this work together. We need each other. You may be the one who plants, or you may be the one who waters. You may be the one doing something else. You may be the one that no one ever sees actually doing and serving. But you know who sees? God. You know who is going to reward you? God. Do you know who you're serving? God. Let that give you hope. Let that give you the sense that, hey, what you do matters. God has a role. God has a place. God has a purpose for you to be a part of this church. That we are God's servants. May we serve him. May our leadership be about glorifying him that others may thrive in him. May our leadership never be about status or image or power. May the reward that we seek be found in him and him alone, not the temporal fleeting rewards of this world. May we never compare our role with another person's. May we never be prideful about our role nor despair of our role. May we see that the work we do is this, for the same king, the same God who pours out his spirit and his blessing on all of us as we serve him. May there be unity and partnership in our work, not division. So in conclusion, look, you may be very aware of your failure as a leader. 
Even as we talk about this wonderful, gospel-formed, beautiful picture of leadership, you may be very aware of your failure as a leader. Maybe you're very aware of the way fear has kept you from leading, from taking risks. And look, in and of ourselves, in and of ourselves, yes, we've all blown it. Cat's out of the bag. Let's just be honest about it. In and of ourselves, we have all been shaped by worldly wisdom. We have misviewed and misused leadership. We've all chased status and image and power. We've all been fearful and lacked faith. In and of ourselves, if we stood before God, we wouldn't be getting any reward. Honesty. But here is where the gospel brings hope. Here is where the gospel speaks into that and speaks a word of hope. Not because we have been faithful, not because we've been faithful servants and leaders, but because the servant, Jesus Christ, God the Son, who became a man and stepped into our world and faithfully and perfectly served God. Jesus Christ, who is perfectly dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, who in love served sinners like you and me and died upon a cross. Jesus Christ, who was raised in victory over sin and death and hell. Jesus Christ, who is given a reward, exalted above every name and rule and throne and power, given an inheritance of people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Because of this servant, you can serve. Because of this servant, your failure as a leader, your fear can be forgiven. Because of this servant, you can be cleansed of your sin. Because of this servant, you can have the power of God in your life, the power of the Holy Spirit. Because of this servant, we can be united as God's servants in one mission. Because of this servant, we can let gospel-formed wisdom shape how we view leaders and how we ourselves lead. Amen? Let's pray.